Hi, CityCast listeners. The Supreme Court tends to save its big rulings for late in the term, right before the Supreme Court justices all leave Washington for summer vacation. And this week, let me tell you, they have unleashed some doozies. At least three rulings so far that are likely to affect day-to-day life here in Houston. I am talking about that with CityCast politics and policy contributor Evan Mintz. It is Tuesday, June 28, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. All right, Evan, the Supreme Court has just begun almost dumping decisions that are going to really change life in Texas. So... What do you think is the biggest of those that we have seen this week in terms of our day-to-day lives? Number one, I think, is overturning Roe uh, to allow the Mm -hmm. state of Texas to ban abortions. Uh, That is going to be the biggest political change I think our state has seen uh, in at least my lifetime, maybe even yours. Yeah. (laughs) little dig at my age there. (laughs) Yeah, and I am just still waiting to see where Texas laws are going to land now that the legislators have sort of had the guide wheels taken off. They can take it wherever they like. What sorts of unintended consequences do you think we're going to see? I mean, I'm already hearing about people who can't get treated for ectopic pregnancies or for miscarriages because the drugs for miscarriages are the same as the Uh, abortion pills. Now, some Republicans will point out that Texas state law does allow for abortions for entopic pregnancies, does allow for abortions uh, in the case of miscarriage. Uh, But the gap between what the law says and how reality acts uh, is a wide gulf. And so if one of these people who are going around under the bounty law suing people decides that you, the doctor, were actually giving someone an abortion instead of treating an ectopic pregnancy or uh, a miscarriage, then you, the doctor, are A, going to be dragged into a civil suit, and B, you could be convicted and sent to prison for life, right? It's called lawfare. It's just the grinding people down through the legal process. And in in other areas like First Amendment law, we have things called slap law, strategic uh, litigation against public participation, uh, laws that prevent you from just pulling people into court and grinding them down to the process. But we don't have that type of protection for abortion rights anymore. I mean, this law has been constituted almost to make it easy <laughs> to wage war on people who need abortions or who give, I guess I should say, who give abortions. Right now, it's the providers who are most at risk mm-hmm. and people who help anyone who's pregnant and needs an abortion. But let's not forget, there's the case down in the Valley of a woman showing up in the hospital and later getting arrested for manslaughter uh, because the medical workers thought that she had self-induced some type of uh, abortion. I think you're going to see lots of people round up on that. There's also increasing fear among people that their digital trail, whether it's your Google searches, whether it's your uh, period tracking app, is going to give you away. Uh, There's also concerns that the state of Texas is going to try to look across state lines and county lines to get at people who try to leave. You see a major 
county district attorney saying that they're not going to prosecute on this. And you have Ken Paxton saying that he wants the legislature to pass a law to allow neighboring counties or perhaps the state to uh, file these charges. And I'd imagine on one hand that if you really do think that abortion is murder, then this makes sense. But I, I would still hold that if you are faced with the challenge of saving a six-month-old baby uh, or a warehouse full of frozen embryos, like the choice is clear. We know that this is different somehow. Yeah. So uh, how much legal standing does Ken Paxton have in trying to prevent, say, someone from going to another state to get an abortion? Is that something a state can even do? I think we're going to have to see this played out in the courts. Um, I think it's going to be terrifying to see states try to overreach it. And, you know, at one point you could say, oh, well, the Supreme Court would never do X, Y, or Z. But that's all thrown out now. Like precedents that have been well established under Roe and Casey were tossed out. And we're seeing this happen in other Supreme Court decisions around uh, prayer in public schools, too. The Lemon Test was a longstanding establishment of the divide between church and state, particularly in educational settings. And the Supreme Court just dumped that 6-3. Uh, things that used to be important, like precedent, like uh, not being an activist judge, uh, have been revealed for just a partisan veneer. Like people want what they want out of the Supreme Court, and they're going to get it. Yeah. I am worried, too, about all sorts of unintended consequences. You just mentioned frozen embryos. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like an area of grayness that I think could go either way. What is Texas going to do about IVF? I think the issue is really unclear. I don't know what the state law says about it now. I've been going through and haven't found anything. But you could find an overly eager prosecutor trying to go after, say, a uh, an IVF doctor's office for destroying leftover embryos. The process uh, of IVF is that you get a woman's eggs, you get a man's sperm, you combine them together, you try to make a bunch of embryos, and then you implant them. And often in that process, you have way more embryos than you'll ever have of babies. And so they just have leftover clumps of cells. And often those will be dedicated to research. But if that clumps of cells is alive now, if it's a person, then you can't do that. Uh, my wife and I had our first child through IVF. Thank God. Oh. It was a miracle. Yeah. Um, it was an expensive miracle. And it was the whole family <laughs> coming together, you know, to, uh -huh. to make it happen. And as part of that process, you have several leftover embryos that are on ice. And we've had to call up our doctor's office to ask what are they doing? And they say they're watching the legislature, they're watching the state of law, but they're prepared to move those out of state if necessary. Uh, and I kind of brought up the topic on social media generically. What is Texas going to do with IVF if it is considered murder to destroy embryos? And I saw some Republican activists weigh in and say, we want to ban IVF. Wow. So couples who very much want a baby in Texas mm -hmm. might not be able to have it the baby. If things go down that path, yes. I've also seen people say, well, you should be compelled to give up those embryos for adoption. Uh, and other people will raise them, which seems insane, yeah. which seems like bizarre yeah. future where people can seize your potential child, your genetic material, and take it as their own. It's just like some terrible sci-fi dystopia is what we're descending into. I also want to bring up the concern of religious liberty on this. You know, often mm -hmm. the anti-abortion camp is framed as like the religious one and pro-choice is framed as secular. But, you know, I'm Jewish and, and 
as someone who's Jewish, uh, I'd say that there are many moments under Jewish law where an abortion is not only allowed, but required. And this is not just sort of the reform or conservative, but among the Orthodox as well. And in fact, the Union of Orthodox Synagogues put out a statement when the the draft opinion first leaked saying that they are not pro-choice, that they believe that uh, there are times when you are not allowed to get an abortion, but there are times when it is absolutely mandatory. They say that this is a quote from their statement, Jewish law prioritizes the life of the pregnant mother over the life of the fetus, such as that where pregnancy critically endangers the physical health or mental health of the mother. And I just want to emphasize mental health. Wow. An abortion may be authorized, if not mandated, by halakha and should be available to all women, irrespective of their economic status. And this is not some like wow. <laughs> lefty synagogue. These are the serious folks. Speaking of religious freedoms. Let's talk about that prayer case Mm -hmm. that the ruling just came down. Do you want to summarize that one? Sure. I mean, put it basically as the football coach, and he would have Mm -hmm. prayers in the middle of school events and would uh, invite players and other teams to come join him. And for the longest time, uh, you have not been allowed to have uh, prayer in schools led by teachers. Students can have prayer, In fact, the ACLU has gone out of its way to defend students praying in schools, but you can't have teachers doing it because the presumption is that you cannot have uh, non-compulsory events in schools when it's teachers doing it. There is going to be some kind of inherent built-in pressure to join. Uh, And when the uh, majority rendered its opinion, they framed this as, well, this is a guy and he's just having these prayers in the middle of like a break in his day. And the dissent like made its argument with pictures of this coach holding a football helmet above his head, surrounded by players all kneeling, uh, joining him. That looks pretty compulsory to me. Imagine being the one football player says, I don't want to take part. Right. So this was during a practice? This was during a game. game. They would invite the other team to come over and join them too. Okay. Yeah. And it's been precedent for decades that you can't do stuff like this. And we've just kind of thrown it out. Who said that this isn't how it is anymore? And I gotta say, I went to non-public school. I went to a private school mm-hmm. that was religious, um, but there weren't necessarily religion classes. But you had like a once a week chapel service, and you also had like uh, some events around the holidays. A big Christmas chapel at the end of the year, and I imagine like public schools have stuff like that too. You, you sing jingle bells, you know, the kids dress up as elves, put on a big show, and they mm-hmm. also sang a. Silent Night, Holy Night, and some songs are talking about little baby Jesus. And I, as you know, a 10-year-old Jewish kid, was like, well, that's not me. I'm not going to take part yeah. in this. I don't want to be there. And I've got to say, uh, for an event that was considered non-compulsory, there's an awful lot of people trying to convince me that I should just take part. Uh, and I can imagine mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of other kids who do not take part in majority opinions at their schools not being compelled under punishment to take part in events, but they sure will feel a lot of pressure from conversation. People asking them why you're just not doing this. And I think we're going to see a a big pushback in ways that we haven't seen in a long time. A lot of conflicts that have been avoided uh, because of what the Supreme Court has ruled are now being brought to the forefront. And for uh, some conservatives are saying, this is a good thing. We can see the democratic process play out. But gosh, I would bet you if the shoe was on the other foot, you'd much rather just have your inherent rights defended 
rather than having to go out there and argue for your own humanity and your own independence every day of your life. Yeah. And I just have to say, Texas being Texas, I expect this one to start ratcheting through really quickly. I mean, I wonder, we've got this big wall to try to, or big wall and fences and militarized border to stop people coming in from Mexico. How -hmm. long till we see it going the other way and women trying to go into Mexico to get legal abortions are going to be stopped at the border? Yeah. I... All right, let's talk about guns. (laughs) There was a big gun decision this week, too, coming out of the Supreme Court. There was a big gun decision. It doesn't necessarily directly affect Texas. Except that we have a lot of guns. Except that we have a lot of guns. So what the Supreme Court held is that state of New York, uh, to get a license to carry a gun, you have to show cause. You have to, like, justify why you need a gun. Uh, And the, the licensure is granted by various government agencies, including the police. They have to say, yeah, okay. We think if you're a doctor who carries drugs, like you can have a gun to defend yourself. You're someone who faces a lot of public threats. You can carry a gun. But it's it's kind of ad hoc. And the Supreme Court said, no, you have an individual right to self-defense outside the home. That's new. Uh, and that if you're going to have gun licensure, uh, it has to be something that is objective across the board. But they did say that a lot of the longstanding uh, prohibitions on gun ownership and gun licensure based around past felony charges, mental health issues, various age restrictions, those are allowed. Okay. You often hear in Texas this, this talk about constitutional carry, that no licensure. That's what the Constitution says. And the Supreme Court, the most pro-gun conservative Supreme Court I think we've ever seen, uh, said, no, like you are very much under the Constitution allowed to have gun licensure requirements. Uh, but we're seeing now is New York and six other jurisdictions that had similar laws are going to have to go back and try to rewrite their own. Uh, and if you're a lawmaker, you're thinking to myself, OK, uh, we have this new sense of what the Second Amendment does and doesn't allow. And I want to pass laws to make sure we have the uh, least number of gun deaths possible. What sort of policy should I pass? Should I pass red flag laws? Should I pass uh, like higher punishment for uh for illegal carrying? Should mm-hmm. we put more focus on suicides, which, you know, majority of gun deaths are suicides? Like, how do we do that? And yeah. the answer is, we don't have a lot of evidence around the best policies to pass. Because for more than 20 years, Congress put a prohibition in place on spending federal dollars to research gun policy. I think they're starting to see some policymakers open their eyes and say, you know, like, we need to uh, try to cut through the partisan divides, which is some objective research and objective evidence. And to their credit, uh, Republicans uh, got together with Democrats in the Senate, and they're getting there in the House, to uh, pass some new gun laws. Uh, And we'll see the the effects of those down the line. But it's heartening in a way that like, yes, after terrible, gruesome uh, horrors in Uvalde, in Buffalo, and just general year to year community violence, uh, that the federal government is starting to put some focus into this area that they're not saying there's nothing we can do. There is something you can do. There's always a policy. Right. I mean, I think of the federal government as being the only constraint on guns in Texas. Uh, Well, well, and also, you know, they don't hand them out for free, so you need to buy them and they ain't cheap. (laughs) Yeah, but my pawn shop has a nice used selection, you know. <laughs> and it's disheartening in a way we're in a state like Texas where the the political leaders put so much stake in 
backing the blue and standing by the police when the police stand up and say, we need to put some restrictions on gun ownership. Like there are constitutional uh, allowances to put bounds around this because it's putting our guys at risk and makes it harder for them to do their jobs. It's putting cities at risk. And the state kind of rolls their eyes and ignores them when, when they talk about that. Yeah. Are there any other uh, rulings you're expecting to come down from the Supreme Court that will affect us on a day-to-day? There's an upcoming lawsuit against the EPA that's gone up to the Supreme Court about whether the EPA can regulate carbon emissions. Oh, that's big here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's going to have, depending on how it's written, uh, vast consequences for all sorts of regulations where you have an agency that Congress has created setting up its own rules using the the power that's been delegated to it. And uh, the Supreme Court may say, no, you can't delegate that kind of thing. Congress has to pass each individual regulation on its own. All the little piddly rules, mm-hmm. which given what a hard time we have passing anything now, mm-hmm. will be impossible. That's the fear, that it could go really that yeah. far. Hi. We're, so we're in living in the middle of a political revolution in just a few weeks of the Supreme Court rolling out its opinions. Um, And we're going to see, I think, a much greater divide between red states and blue states on how they're operating and what their policies are. And policies don't recognize state borders. People move. Pollution moves. The the long arm of the law will try to uh, reach out and get people. And it's weird to think that we'd lived in this time where we thought certain things that were settled were not settled. You know, there's no end of the game in politics. It's only ever halftime. And everybody's going to come out and pray. (laughs) Hi. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Evan. Oh, glad to be here. That was Evan Mintz. Next up, I am here with producer Farrell Gibbs. Farrell, what else is going on around Houston today? Thank you, Lisa. One of the women suing quarterback Deshaun Watson over a massage session that accuses the ex-Texan quarterback of sexual assault and misconduct is now suing the team. The lawsuit filed against the Texans was done so by attorney Tony Busby, the attorney who is representing all 24 of the women filing suit against the quarterback. This suit claims that Watson asked several of the massage therapists to sign a non-disclosure agreement a form he allegedly received from a Texans staff member, and also that the Houston Texans arranged for some of the massages at the Houstonian Hotel. The Texans did release this statement, quote, We are aware of the lawsuit filed against us today. Since March 2021, we have fully supported and complied with law enforcement and the various investigations. We will continue to take the necessary steps to address the allegations against our organization. Watson is currently practicing with his new team, the Cleveland Browns, after a trade out of Houston in March. He is due to have a hearing today with the NFL and with the NFL Players Association disciplinary officer, Sue L. Robinson. Watson still faces a possible suspension from the NFL. That is all for our show today. If you're on Instagram, try following us there. We are at CityCast Houston, and Farrell does a great job of keeping it interesting. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. Hey, at least we're supposed to get some rain today. We yeah. get the football coaches <laughs> lined up to pray for some rain. <laughs>